Well, good morning. Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. You know, I've come to the conclusion that it matters where the message comes from. It matters where the message comes from. You know, there's, there's this really weird thing that happens at the church office every now and again where someone on staff will get an email from Pastor Mark. And this email will say something like, I need to speak to you about an urgent matter. Um, you know, I, I'd like to bless the staff with some gift cards I need you to run out and get. I can't talk to you right now. Please don't call me. Um, you know, I'm in a meeting or I've got a sore throat, so please don't call. Just email back. And uh, then it'll say something like, warm regards, senior pastor Mark Westerfield. Now, I can spot a fake from a mile away because, number one, Mark would never say the words urgent matter. He would, if he needed me to go get some gift cards, uh, he would not email me about that. He would come down and talk to me or wait till he could or, or call or something. He wouldn't email. Um, he would never say warm regards. Does anybody actually say warm regards? Warm regards, and then he would never refer to himself, at least to me, as senior pastor Mark Westerfield. I used to spot a fake from a mile away. Now, if Pastor Mark wanted me to go get some gift cards for the staff, I would absolutely go do that. It would, I would drop what I was doing. I would drive down to the store. I'd get them. Um, but see, it matters where the message comes from. What's happening there is somebody has gone on our church website and has made a fake email account and is trying to trick us, steal money from the church is what they're trying to do. By the way, they've done this with congregations before. I don't know if they've done it with this congregation, maybe, um, where you might get an email. If you ever get an email from the church asking for money, uh, it's fake. Delete it. Don't, do not. They're trying to steal money from you. Don't, don't respond to that. If we really needed the money, I promise you we wouldn't just send an email to you, okay? Um, but that's what they're trying to do is steal from the church. Now, if Pastor Mark were asking me to go get some gift cards to bless the staff with, I would go do it in a heartbeat. But but that wasn't Pastor Mark. It matters where the message comes from. It matters. And we began our study in Galatians, and, and kind of the setup for it is that uh, the Apostle Paul has gone on these missionary journeys, and in his first missionary journey, he went to this region that is, uh, called Galatia. And in Galatia, there are lots of cities, and, and uh, he, he went to these different towns in Galatia. He shared the gospel. He started churches in Galatia, and then he left. Well, when the Apostle Paul left, there's a group of guys that came from Jerusalem and kind of tried to add to Paul's message. See, Jerusalem is where the original church was. It's where the apostles began this church. You know, it's like First Baptist Jerusalem is right there. Okay, and they, they started this church. Well, Paul leaves Galatia, and some men from Jerusalem go to that church. And they say, they go to the churches in Galatia, and they say that Paul had mis, has misled you. They say Paul has also come from Jerusalem, where he heard the apostles teach him about the gospel, but then when he got to Galatia, he didn't tell you the whole truth. So either Paul wasn't smart enough to understand the gospel, or he was afraid to tell you the truth about the gospel, uh, or Paul is lying to you. See, Paul came and he preached Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Well, these guys come in and they say, well, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, but what Paul didn't tell you is that in order for you to become like a 
full member of the people of God. You have to follow the law. You know, the, uh, up until this point, up until Christ, the people of God were those who followed the law. It was ethnic Jews who were the people of God as they followed the law and Gentiles. Gentiles are not Jews. If a, if a Gentile wanted to be a part of the people of God, they had to follow the law of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had to follow it to be a part of the people of God. So these guys come from Jerusalem and they say, Jesus is the Messiah, but you can read the Bible. You can read the Old Testament. And you can see everyone who's in, ever been a part of the people of God has to follow the law, and you do too. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the rest of the law and then you're a part of the people of God. Paul has misled you. That's what, that's what they're telling these people in Galatia. Well, Paul hears about this somehow, and he writes this letter to them. You know, Galatians is, as Pastor Mark explained last week, it's, it's probably the first New Testament book written. It's either that one or James. So Galatians precedes Paul's Romans letter, Galatians precedes any of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He wrote that before those guys told you the story of Jesus. That this is what Paul is writing. And here's why that's important. It's important because his message isn't, this message in Galatians that Paul gives us is not like a later development of the faith. It's not something that came about later or an afterthought. It's actually what what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he's, he says that this is of first importance. This message of the gospel is of first importance. Last week, Galatians chapter 1, we looked at the first 10 verses, and the main idea there, Paul says, I'm not a servant of man. I'm not a servant of man. My apostleship was given to me by God. The authority that Paul has as an apostle came directly from God, not through man. He's not man's servant. Well, the summary of the verses that we're gonna look at this morning is that the message is not man's gospel. It's not man's gospel. And, and this is the argument that, that Paul is going to make. I'm not man's servant, and the evidence that I'm not man's servant is I've got a message that is not man's gospel. I didn't receive it from any man. It was actually revealed to me directly by the risen Christ. It matters where the message comes from. So we're going to look beginning in verse 11 uh, and we're going to work through verse 24. And these verses can be divided into three parts, verses 11 and 12. We see a claim. Paul makes a claim. And then in verses 13 through 17, Paul recounts his conversion and uh, his commission to preach to the Gentiles, to preach to the nations. And then in verses 18 through 24, Paul is going to tell us a story about his trip to Jerusalem, and he's going to take all the attention to show us how little interaction he had with the apostles. And that's going to make sense why in a second. All right, so Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 in those verses, Paul makes a claim. Let's look at those together. Paul writes in verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
This is Paul's claim. This, this is not man's gospel because I didn't receive it from man. I received it directly from the risen Christ. He's, he's gone through these towns of Galatia. He's preached this gospel. The word gospel means good news. He's preached this good news. He's announced it to them. And this message that he has announced didn't come from any man. Literally, he says, not according to man. That matches in verse 1 of chapter 1, where he has said that his status as an apostle comes not from man, not through man, and now his message is not according to man. That means his message is not governed by standards of, of human wisdom or human ingenuity, or what's, what makes sense to man? That's not where the message comes from. No one came up with this. And in verse 12, he says, I, did, I don't have a human source. I wasn't taught this message. He didn't study the Bible hard enough and come up with it. He didn't just think really hard and, and come up with it. He didn't receive it from anyone. And that doesn't mean that Paul never learned anything. Um, later on, he's probably gonna learn some more information from, as he meets the apostles. But, but the, the original message does not change. It came directly from God, from the risen Christ. That's the claim. Now, to support that claim, the evidence that he's going to bring to the table, is found, it begins in verse 13 through 17. He's going to talk about his conversion and his commission. In verses 13 through 17, we see Paul's conversion and his commission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, let's begin. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 together. Uh, then Paul says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul speaks of his former life in Judaism. And he says in these verses, maybe you've heard of me, I'm kind of a big deal. He refers to his former life in Judaism, that his entire life was governed by the traditions and the belief and the practices of Judaism. Judaism affected how he lived, how he thought, how he spoke, how he believed, how he felt, how he acted. Judaism determined it all. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul speaks about his life in Judaism like this. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, that's the day that's prescribed. He says it was then. He, was, he says, I was of the people of Israel, not a Gentile. I was of the people of Israel. Well, which tribe? Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. If ever there was a Hebrew, if ever there was a Jew, it was me, Paul says. As to the law, a Pharisee. And what he means by that, the Pharisees were guys who were really religious and they, were, they really wanted to keep the law of Moses. And so what the Pharisees would do is they would try to build a fence around the law. So like, you know, you, maybe you go to the Grand Canyon and there's the edge, like you don't want to fall off. So they put a fence up. So in order for you to fall off, you actually have to climb over the fence and, and then you can fall off into the Grand Canyon if you want to. But, the, but what the Pharisees would do is they would put up laws. If that's the edge, if that's the law of Moses, I'm gonna put a fence here and I'm gonna make some other laws to keep me from getting close to the edge. So Paul says, as to the law, I was a fence builder. I, I was, I was a, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And we'll talk about that in just a second. As to righteousness under the law, 
blameless. He was a rising star in Judaism. There was no one that was rising to the top like Paul. He was so Jewish and he was so passionate, his zeal caused him to persecute what he says here in Galatians 1, persecute the church of God violently and try to destroy it. We read about this in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. There's, there's a deacon, his name's Stephen. He's a deacon of First Baptist Jerusalem. He's the first, you know, first martyr of the Christian faith. Um, he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel to some Jews, and the Jews get so upset with him that they throw rocks at him until he dies. And Acts tells us that there was a man standing there looking on in approval as if he is the leader of the group. His name was, it was Paul. He was standing there. He was a leader of this movement to destroy the church of Jesus. Then he goes to, uh, to get papers from the religious leaders, the, the religious leaders of the time, so that he could have permission to go church by church by church and drag Christians out, arrest them, stop them, presumably have them killed if they wouldn't stop. That's how zealous Paul was. That sounds a little crazy. Um, but really what Paul is doing is he's, he's just reading how zealous people have been for the law of Moses for, for a long time. And he's just walking in their footsteps. If you read in the book of Numbers, there's a story the people of God are walking through uh, the promised land on the way, or walking through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And, and you know, they, they've got to keep God's law. And some people, they commit a grievous sin to the point where God might cut off, he just might cut off the people. And there's a, a priest named Phineas, and Phineas kills those people with a spear out of his zeal for the law of Moses. Well, there, there's another story in 1 Kings about this prophet Elijah, and there's this battle on Mount Carmel between, between uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And who's the one true God? Is it going to be Yahweh or is it going to be Baal? And, and of course, Yahweh is the one true God. And Elijah has all the prophets of Baal killed. Even in intertestamental times, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a story of this guy, Matthias. Someone did this illegal, unlawful sacrifice, defiled the altar, and Matthias killed them out of zeal. And so now you have Paul, the law of Moses. These people are saying that Jesus is the Messiah. He's not, and that you don't have to follow the law. He, he's not, so, so, so we're, he, he starts killing these people. He's following in these guys' footsteps. This is Paul, full of zeal. But what Paul didn't know is that he was on the wrong side. Verse 13 says that he he persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. You know, What's interesting, the irony there is that word church in the Greek, it simply means gathering. And that's the word in the Greek version of the Old Testament that is used to describe the congregation of the people of God. So in an effort to defend the people of God, he's actually killing them. He's actively trying to destroy and persecute the people of God to protect the people of God. He doesn't know what he's doing. He was zealous, but he was zealous for the wrong thing. So he's on his way to Damascus is the way the story goes. He's, he's got this authority to arrest Christians. He's on his way, and he's going to kill a whole bunch of Christians, but God. Look in verse 15, the way he describes it. Paul says this, But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone. So, so here's how the story goes. You can read about it. It's actually, actually told, the story's told three times in the book of Acts. You can go read. Well, Paul is on his way to Damascus, and then Jesus, the risen Christ, appears to him, blinds him, knocks him off his horse. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in Galatians 1, Paul describes God's actions. He says three things, three things God did. The first one, he says, he set me apart before I was born. That before Paul was born, Paul knows before he was born, God knew me and God had a plan for my life. Paul views himself as walking in the same line as the prophet Jeremiah, who in in Jeremiah chapter one, he records the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, Jeremiah, I consecrated you and I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And Paul says, that's me. He, He knew me before I was born. He set me apart before I was born to be a prophet to the nations, to the Gentiles. He says it right there, to the Gentiles. He's like, I'm like Jeremiah. Then he, he, he reads in Isaiah and he sees this character, the servant of the Lord in Isaiah's prophecy. And in Isaiah 49, it says, the, the Lord says, the Lord is the one, he says, who formed me in, from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. And here's what that Lord says to this servant. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation might reach the ends of the earth. Isaiah speaks of this prophet or this servant to come and he says, look, there's this servant that's to come. The Lord formed him from his mother's womb and it's not enough that he would preach to the Jews and the Jews would come back to the Lord. It's that I, I'm gonna send this servant to preach to the nations, to the ends of the earth. And Paul says, that's me. He, he set me apart before I was born to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Here's the second thing he says there in verse 15. He says, he called me by his grace. Paul's speaking of that interaction where he's on his way to Damascus and the Lord meets him and blinds him. He says, he called me by his grace. It wasn't a suggestion. There was no negotiation. This calling of God brought Paul to his knees in submission You know, Paul wasn't dragged against his will. He wasn't kicking and screaming. He wanted to go, but he only wanted to go after he had a true vision of the risen Christ. That that changes everything for Paul. Paul says that he called me by his grace, his undeserved favor. He just simply delighted and wanted to call Paul into his kingdom. Here's the third thing he says there in verse 16. He says that this this God was pleased to reveal his son to me. He was pleased to reveal his son to me. God called Paul because he wanted to. He was pleased to. He delighted to call Paul into the kingdom. God wasn't reluctant. He wasn't hesitant. He was eager. He wanted to. It made him happy to call Paul into his kingdom. 
And, and the way he called him into his kingdom, he tells us right there, God revealed his son to Paul. He didn't convince him of some external truths or, or some things on, on the outside. He revealed his son. It wasn't something Paul could have thought of. It wasn't something Paul could have discovered. Paul wasn't on the hunt for more information about this Jesus. God gave Paul a true vision of Christ. And when he got that true vision of who Jesus is, it changed everything. Paul surrendered when God delighted to call him by revealing his son to him. You know, Tim Keller, the pastor, once said that one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is the conversion of Paul. Paul had no reason to become a Christian. No reason. He was on his way to arrest people. He was actively opposing the church. He was zealous to do so. He was eager. It wasn't like he was just doing a job. He wanted to do it. And then out of nowhere, Paul changes his mind. Like on the way, he changes his mind completely, a complete 180. It makes no sense. He had no reason. Paul had no reason to become a Christian, but he did. It makes no sense. Unless he really did see the risen Christ. And when Paul surrendered, Jesus gave him the purpose, go preach to the Gentiles, the Galatians. That's what he's doing. He's preaching to the Galatians. Now, remember, remember the argument that Paul is making here. He's proving that the gospel he received is not man's gospel by showing that this message came directly from God. So there at the end of verse 16, he says, I didn't immediately consult with anyone. I didn't go find anybody else and ask and get it confirmed. And then in verse 17, he says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. That means he, he didn't meet the risen Christ and immediately go find Peter and James and John and Thomas and ask them if what he'd received was okay. He says, I didn't go to Jerusalem to find them. He says, he tells us where he went, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus to preach. This message came directly from the risen Lord and at this point in time is not influenced by any man, any apostle. Well, the last section of the verses is verses 18 through 24, and I give it the title of some key things in that text. I have Cephas, Syria, and Cilicia. They all start with that same sound. I thought that'd be fun. Just having fun in here. Cephas, Syria, and Cilicia. Let's go ahead and read verses 18 through 24, and then we'll walk through it. Uh, Paul writes, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. So Paul is just kind of recounting some history here. He, he says after three years, that is three years from the moment that he, he met Christ. Three years after that, he went to Jerusalem and he went and found Cephas. Now, Cephas is Peter. Um, Cephas is the Aramaic version of Peter's name. So you have, uh, you know, Petros is Greek and 
Cephas is Aramaic and Peter is English. You just kind of have these names. And there's a lot of people in the Bible that have, have different names, uh, more than one name for one person. And there's a lot of different reasons why that's the case. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul has two names. And, and kind of what's going on with Paul's name is the same thing that's going on with, with Peter's name. Um, you know, Paul is also called Saul. Saul is the uh, Hebrew version of the name. And Paul is the Roman version of the name. And what you'll see is in, in the book of Acts, Luke calls Paul both, both names. And he makes that change as Paul moves further into the Roman regions. He's Saul when he's on his way to Damascus, but as he moves into like Galatia, he starts to become Paul. And you'll, you'll see that shift happen. But the point is that Cephas is Peter, one of the apostles, maybe the head apostle. And Paul, it says that Paul visited Peter and stayed with him for 15 days, two weeks. The reason why that, that's an important note is because three years of preaching a message and then he goes to an apostle and he only spends two weeks with him. He's saying my, my message is not their message. My message is the one I received from Christ. I only saw him for two weeks. Now what did Paul and Peter talk about for two weeks? One scholar says uh, certainly it wasn't the weather that they talked about. And, and probably the, this had to come up. Peter's like, and then he, he called me uh, he told me to come out of the boat, <laughs> and then I walked on water. Can you believe that? Like, surely that was part of the conversation. I know if it was me, I would tell that part. Uh, the first part, not the part where I started doubting. I'd leave that part out. <laughs> uh, and so Paul says, I stayed with him 15 days. I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the brother of the Lord. He's like the senior pastor of First Baptist uh, Jerusalem at this time. That's who James is, the brother of the Lord. He's like, I saw him. But I didn't see any of the other guys. The point is, like, they didn't, they didn't affect my message. And then, and then he swears in verse 20. He says, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. He, he is saying, I swear to God. They're saying I'm lying to you and that they've given me a message and I changed it. And I'm not, I don't know how else to say it. I'm not lying to you, he says. And then he announces where he went. He went to Syria. He went to Cilicia. You can line that up with the book of Acts. He went there to preach. And to plant churches, that's where he went. In verse 22, he, he says that I was unknown in person. I, I was there so short a time that nobody knew what I looked like. And not just in Jerusalem, in the whole region, nobody knew what I looked like, but they've heard of me. They've heard of me. And what were they saying? The persecutor has become the preacher. That's what they'd heard. The persecutor had become the preacher, and the way that, that Paul writes it, it wasn't just one story, like that's the message that the persecutor become the preacher. It was they were hearing stories over and over and over, and then he went to Damascus, and then he went to Antioch, and then he went to Tarsus, and then he went, he went to all these places to preach. They were hearing over and over and over that he'd gone to preach, that the persecutor had become the preacher, and they glorified God because of what he had done in Paul's life. So in these verses, the claim is, my message I received from the risen Christ. Here, let me give you a history lesson for, the, uh, for my proof. I didn't see any apostles till after three years, and when I did, it was a short amount of time, and then I went back to preaching. The message I received hasn't changed. I received it directly from the Lord Jesus. My message is authentic. There is no other gospel. Now, as we, we think about these verses together, um, I think there are three implications for us. 
this morning. Three, three things that I think affect us, three things that we should consider. The first one is this, the truth matters. The truth matters. For the Galatians, there are two messages battling for preeminence. There was the one of these guys who'd come from Jerusalem that said, look, you, you, uh, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. You should follow after him, but you also have to be Jewish to become a part of the people of God. You have to follow Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In order to be a part of the people of God, you have to. That's one message. The other message is Paul saying, nope, faith in Jesus is all you need. We are justified by faith in Jesus alone. Those are two competing messages, both battling for preeminence. Two gospels claiming to be true, but listen to me, they both can't be true. They both can't be true. And Paul says in verse nine of chapter one, he says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, the one I preached to you, let him be accursed. So there's two messages in Galatia and right and wrong is in the balance, but really, heaven and hell are in the balance. The truth matters. We've got to get it right. That's true in our day as well, you know. But there's more than just two messages that are being preached to us, isn't there? There are competing truths, and they can't all be right. They're all battling for preeminence. But right and wrong are hanging in the balance. And heaven and hell are hanging in the balance. The truth matters. And here's the second implication. Not only does the truth matter, the source matters. How do we know, how do we know which truth is right? Well, the source matters. It matters where the message comes from. Paul says, I didn't receive my message from man. I didn't receive it from the apostles or from any man. I received it directly from the Lord. There are competing messages in our day. There are competing messages, and they can't all be true. Where do they come from? What is the source? You know, our culture has its own message about right and wrong. It's not a gospel. It's not good news but it has its own message about, about right and wrong, but this message leads straight to hell. But our message, the one that we've received, it comes as revelation directly from the Lord, as revealed in the scriptures. You know, we, we call the Bible the word of God. Here, here's what we believe to be true about the scriptures. What we believe is that God has acted in human history, throughout human history, God has acted. And men have, have sat down and they've written down the things that God has done and, and, and the implications. And we get all these different forms and poetry and all these things. They've written down what God has done and all the implications. And here's what we believe to be true is that, that God guided the whole thing in such a way that the, that the people wrote exactly what they wanted to write, it was out of their own head. And they wrote, and at the same time, the Holy Spirit carried them along in such a way that they wrote exactly what he wanted. So what we believe is that, it, like a dual authorship, like man wrote, but God also did. He didn't dictate it. They, they wrote what they wanted to, but God, God's the source. 
And if God is the source, then there can be no error in it. That everything that the Bible teaches as true is true. Because its source is God. The the source matters. Well, if the source is God, what what do we know about God? Well, just straight out of Galatians 1, I, I see two things that are true about God. When I think about Paul's conversion, one, God is sovereign. It wasn't Paul's idea to become a Christian. He wasn't a seeker. He wasn't testing the waters. Paul was Jesus' enemy. He was going the other direction. And and then Jesus said, not anymore. You're mine now. God is sovereign in every way. There is nothing over which God is not sovereign. And Paul intended to destroy the church. But here's what we see in the text. God is sovereign and Jesus' church cannot be destroyed. It can be persecuted It can be tampered with, it can be pressed, it can be knocked down, it can be lied to. It can be culture's number one enemy, it can be the number one enemy of the government, but it cannot be defeated. And Paul's intention was to wreck Jesus' church, but instead Jesus wrecked him, because God is sovereign. And here's the second thing that I see in this text that's true about the source of our message. God is gracious. It tells us that God was pleased to call Paul. He wanted to. He delighted to. Paul did nothing to earn it. He did everything uh, opposite. He did the opposite. Paul calls himself elsewhere the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church. I tried to persecute the church. I tried to destroy the church. I'm the least of all the apostles. But Jesus was pleased to call, hear that, he was pleased to call him anyway. Paul didn't get in on a technicality. Paul didn't find a magic lamp and rub the lamp and the Holy Spirit comes out and now he's got to do whatever Paul says. That's not what happened. God was pleased to reveal his son Jesus to Paul. And Paul responded in faith. Paul didn't deserve it, but God wanted to do it. This is who our God is. He is sovereign. He is gracious. Nothing is too difficult for him, and no one has outrun his ability to forgive. No one. This is the source of our message. So the truth matters, and and the source matters, and here's the third implication, I think. our, Our posture matters. Our posture matters. We, we receive a message. How are we going to treat it? How are we going to receive it? Our posture matters. I, I want you to think about this with me for a second. Those of you that are Christians in the room, those of you that are believers in Jesus, your conversion is not more miraculous than Paul's. Your, your uh, trusting in Jesus and coming to faith is not more miraculous than Paul's or less miraculous than Paul's. Here's, here's what the scripture teaches. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter two. That we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. The ones in which we once walked, we, were, we followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
You and I, all of us, every single one of us, were just like the rest of the world. We were children of wrath. And we followed our own way. We rejected God's way. There, you know, there's two ways to reject God. You can reject God by lawlessness, by acting in, in wicked ways that are opposite in the way that God would have us act. There's acting in wickedness, lawlessness, but you can also reject God's way with lawfulness. Because if I can just keep a, a list of rules and keep these rules really, really good, then I twist God's arm and he has to accept me. That's also rejecting God's way. Either way, whether religion or irreligion, you are rejecting God. We have all rejected God. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were all destined for wrath, children of wrath, destined for hell. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even when we were dead, he made us alive. That's the miracle. The miracle is not the bright light shining in the sky and making us blind and knocking us off a horse. The miracle is that we were dead and God made us alive. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not a result of your work or anything that you've done it's a gift that's been given to you. You have no reason, no grounds to boast. God has graciously called you. And when God revealed his son Jesus to you, believer, you surrendered. Oh, maybe you'd heard that gospel message 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, but there was that one time. There was that one time you heard the gospel message and you felt like, yep, I see him for who he is now. I can't help it. I'm responding in faith. There, there is no other choice for me. I, I'm responding in faith to the risen Christ. There was that day when that came for you. You responded in faith. Your conversion is no less a miracle than Paul's. You've been brought from death to life. But in this room, there's probably some people who are not believers in Jesus. I'm so glad that you're here. You, you are so welcome to be in this room right now. I, I acknowledge that not everybody in the room is a Christian, but here's what I wanna tell you. As a result of what we've looked at in Galatians chapter one, I've, I'm bringing a message. And the, and the message that I, I've received, I've received from the Lord Jesus through his scriptures. Through the scriptures is how he speaks. And the message that I've received is that you are in rebellion against God. But you don't have to be because God sent his son Jesus to die instead of you, instead of you. And he died, Jesus died, but God raised him from the dead and he is Lord over everything. And the offer for you this morning, the offer is to place your faith in Jesus today. Place your faith in him. Receive, receive the forgiveness of sins unto eternal life. It's the free offer that the Lord Jesus offers you today. You're given freedom. Stop running 
Stop trying to, to keep a list of rules and stop trying to just catch up. Receive the free gift of forgiveness and grace. Surrender to Jesus today. Why don't we reason together? Why should you die in your sins? You don't have to. I'm urging you to turn away from the other message, the message from our culture, the passions of our culture, the wickedness of our culture. Turn away and turn to the Lord Jesus. Surrender to him. Submit to him today.